so much of the body actually gets impacted by the way that sound and touch and vibration frequencies impact us. And so seeing what other people had done, they hadn't answered all the questions, but they'd answered enough questions for us to say, okay, what we're thinking is on the right track here. And then that led me to the biofeedback literature. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Hey, co-founders of Earth and Star here. Real quick. What if we told you that your morning cup of coffee could deliver powerful immune support, keep dementia at bay, and help you sleep like a baby? Or that you could improve your gut health and reduce inflammation with a delicious daily gummy? You'd probably say we're full of shiitake. Mm-hmm. Well, it can. And as it turns out, all of these powerful health benefits are hiding right under our feet, literally, in the form of functional mushrooms, sometimes referred to as adaptogens. Adaptogens. They are fancy plants and fungi chock full of science-backed benefits to help your body restore, defend, and perform every single day. Earth and Star is our line of super premium adaptogen-infused goodies. Goodies. What do we got? We've got organic mm. ground coffee in mm. dark roast, hazelnut, even decaf for people like yes. me. Um, and they're all boosted with a powerful dose of adaptogen extracts to give you the most delicious morning brew with zero crash, zero jitters, zero, zero for real. Mm, talk to me. I like it. But is it actual coffee? Or that weird muddy tasting coffee replacement that you have to like mix and froth and then convince yourself it tastes good. Tastes good and not like mud, you mean? No, no, because it's actual coffee. We just added in the extracts. So you get extracts for powerful focus, sustained energy, no anxiety, no big whoop. And if that's not your thing, we've also got dark chocolate bars. I mean... But they're organic, 72% cacao with delicious flavors like mint, orange, sea salt, and all with no weird crap or additives. Most likely you have a daily chocolate habit anyway. So why not make it super delicious and functional while you're at it? Mm-hmm. And what's that? You still need an easier way to make this adaptogen habit stick? I see what you did there. I see done. Where you're done. I know. Here's what I did. We've got gummies too. Get it? They stick. Um, nice. And we managed to pack a therapeutic dose into just two little vegan gummies. Two, two, not not four or six, because come on, people, no grown-ass adult needs six gummies a day. <laughs> but if you do, no judgments. No judgments. And no, Earth and Star products do not taste like mushrooms. We will legit give you your money back if you taste even the slightest hint of shroominess. Our products are just like the ones you are already consuming regularly. Real coffee, real chocolate, etc. They are just boosted with functionality to help you adapt every day. Adapt every day with all the stuff that comes our way. Oh my God, I just did a rhyme. That was good. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, so check us out at earthandstar.com and or follow us at earthandstarco. And if you want 15% off, you can use the code HTW on your first order. Do, do, do.
Dr. David Rabin. Or if you're feeling fancy, Rabin, which I think is said earlier, um, is a neuroscientist, board-certified psychiatrist, health tech entrepreneur and inventor who has been studying the impact of chronic stress in humans for more than a decade. He is also the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Apollo Neuroscience, this handy-dandy little thing. Got the clip version. Um, and, which has developed the first scientifically validated wearable technology that actively improves energy focus and relaxation using a novel touch therapy that signals safety to the brain. I mean, come on. <laughs> Seriously, we dabble in adaptogens and we sort of like claim some of this stuff, but I feel like you might have... You might have a little bit more. Yeah, there's no mushrooms in this little uh, in this little gadget. <laughs> exactly. <what's up. laughs> um, tell us about this innovation that we've been wearing now for. I don't know. Erica, when did when did you? Um, I've been wearing mine for like two weeks. I think you've had yours for a week. Yeah. Oh, nice. How, how did you get into this? Let's start there, actually, and then you can uh, sure. Happy that. to. Yeah. Um, thanks again for having me. Uh, I got into this work because, um, you know, I think as a psychiatrist, I focus on very, very hard to treat mental illness. Uh, the things that always fascinated me about chronic stress and resilience were why do some people face really, really intense stress and overcome it and become much stronger and, and more powerful, better, faster versions of themselves and why does stress hold some of us back at other times? Right. And even for the same people, they can, we can go back and forth depending on the situation. And so I was working with veterans with uh, severe PTSD and addiction disorders at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and you know, we were just noticing myself and my colleagues in the psychiatry world, we're taught to prescribe medication, which works for some people, but it wasn't working for more than 50% of our, of our patients, um, which means more than 50% of our patients are still sick, even though we're prescribing them and giving them all the treatments that we're told to give them. And you know, in short, that just forced me to ask the question, well, maybe there's something else we can do for these people. Maybe our understanding of trauma is and mental illness is not um, up to date. Maybe there's different ways to think about this. And so we started to look at it from the perspective of the autonomic nervous system, which is the fight or flight system and the parasympathetic recovery, rest and digest system. And, you know, going back to safety, Fear and threat, survival threat, turns on our fight or flight system. We all know this and helps us to get out of a threatening situation into a survival safety situation where we're where we're safe and the threat is gone. And when that happens, we want all of our resources to go back to our safety system. So digestion, recovery, um, sleep, uh, reproduction, immunity all the things that we don't want to be getting resources when we need our muscles to get us away from a lion or a bear or something like that. Right. And so, uh, this is what's happening all the time in people. The system is not working properly in people who have PTSD. And so we looked at, well, what actually reverses that process for people? And it turns out that soothing touch works wonders and soothing music we've known for probably thousands of years as a community, but more recently in science, works really, really well. Biofeedback, deep breathing, meditation, yoga, exercise, all these things re restore balance to the body by restoring a sense of control and balancing what we call autonomic tone or the balance between stress, sympathetic activity, fight or flight, and 
parasympathetic, rest and digest. So fear and safety are in constant balance. And so we were trying to figure out, well, if, if th- this system not working properly is, or not trained to work properly is part of the problem, then perhaps there are ways we can create to give people more control over that system. We know breathing works, right? We know soothing touch works, but those can require other people to be around or require training. And that takes time and energy and effort and can be hard. And so we figured out that if you take soothing touch, you can actually replicate the benefits of soothing touch in a wearable. And it was around that time we were starting to explore psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy because that also works for people with PTSD, um, MDMA-assisted therapy, if you haven't heard of it, which I'm sure you have, but if your audience hasn't heard of it, it's on the forefront of the greatest treatments we've ever had for mental illness ever, uh, which is phenomenal. It's just a Nova special on it, I think on PBS, um, about this very thing. And it is life-changing for people with just three doses of medicine because it, it amplifies safety in the body. And so we mapped out that whole safety uh, pathway in the body. I, I was actually trained as an MDMA-assisted therapist by MAPS, and that training was really impactful, and it made me realize that safety is critically important. And so we mapped out the whole safety nervous system and figured out that you could tap into it with effectively music that's composed for the skin instead of your ears. And so mm-hmm. Apollo is a device that's a first-of-its-kind wearable technology that doesn't actually track you. It just gives you these gentle, soothing vibrations that your skin feels as it would soothing touch, which delivers safety signals to the emotional cortex that calms the body and then clears your mind. It's amazing. There's there's a lot there, so I'm not sure like which threads we want to pull first. But um, I'm I, I think you know we were we were doing a little bit of reading on on you and your background before we started and saw that you know you were kind of developing an expertise in the non invasive therapies, which we kind of assumed was referring to the you know the psychedelic assisted therapies. Um, which is definitely a world, you know, we're becoming much more familiar with every day. And we've actually just recently done two episodes back to back on psychedelics. And just we're so thankful that this movement is really reaching such a critical, you know, uh, volume um, for, for the masses because, and it's, I feel like it's so common and it's so fascinating that it all comes back to working with veterans because I guess it is such a, um, a powerful group of se- severely traumatized, you know, population, and uh, because they've effectively all been in through the same thing, it's. I, I find I, I'm assuming that it makes the research just that much more consistent because you kind of are dealing with so many of the same inputs. Um, so, in Not terms, of- been through the same thing in terms of the threat and the, and the stress. They also have this incredible training. Right. So they are some of the most highly trained humans that we have in yeah. terms of their ability to do tremendous feats of strength and and vitality. Right. And and yet they are still succumbing to these consequences of severe right. stress. Which so makes it that much more heartbreaking to imagine. Like you said, they're so powerfully trained and sophisticated in ways that none of us lay people ever will be. And yet they're so damaged by whatever it is that they've been through and, and finding it so hard to cope. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's very, it's disturbing to think about and also just kind of to, to think, okay, well, you know, how, I mean, if we're going to reap any of the benefits of this, then it can only affect us in, you know, a much larger way because so many of us have not been through anything nearly that, that traumatic. 
Um, so question. So this is not a, it's not a tracker, right? So I'm not being, I feel like we're so used to seeing everybody with their Fitbits and their, their Nike fuels or there's so many now, but, um, Apple watches, uh, that are measuring everything and giving you feedback. And, uh, this is not that, right. This is literally just delivering a nice little, I think about like tapping, mm-hmm. <laughs> like emotional tapping. It is insanely soothing. I have to say, um, how did you like, so how, how were you able to measure it when you were developing it? Like, how did you measure that? So on, on the, um, on the app, it basically gives you like, you know, seven or so different settings, um, depending on how you want to feel. So if you want to sort of be, you know, mindful and in a meditative state, you, you get a certain, um, feedback, right? So how, I, I'm just curious, like, how did you determine all these different settings and, and, and how did you measure the the results? Like, how did you know that, you know, Zoe was was really responding and suddenly calm and, you know, her blood pressure dropped by like however many points because she was on this relaxed uh, setting? Yeah, that's a great question. It was, the short answer is a lot of lab testing. Um, we were, my, or my whole original research team were all scientists, uh, clinicians, psychologists, mostly in the psychology, cognitive neuroscience and psychiatry world. At the University of Pittsburgh, we were also um, we also had music backgrounds. I think all of us were had experienced music or played music in our lives, so we we intuitively understood the power that music has over shifting our states and how we feel, and we're interested in that. And so I think that that led us to steer our our investigation into this world toward why music does this, right? Why does some music calm us down really, really quick? Why does other music help us enter meditative states? Why does other music help us sleep or help us work out or dance or get energy or focus? We don't think about that. We don't ask these questions that often, but there's a reason. And so we went into the literature and ultimately when you look at what other people have done, because we were not the first people to have these ideas, other people have thought about this too. And it turns out that they asked questions similarly and and actually did some studies and showed that if you deliver certain audible music frequencies to the body, to the ears, or vibration to the body, or massage, like touch, that you can reliably shift heart rate, breath rate, and heart rhythms, and heart rate variability, which is the change of your heart rhythm over time. And you can also change how much you sweat, which is another sign of autonomic tone, sympathetic, parasympathetic balance, and lots of other things. You could change cognitive performance to some extent. You can change physical recovery. So much of the body actually gets impacted by the way that sound and touch and vibration frequencies impact us. And so seeing what other people had done, they hadn't answered all the questions, but they'd answered enough questions for us to say, okay, what we're thinking is on the right track here. And then that led me to the biofeedback literature that we were talking about earlier. Biofeedback is a very, very cool technique that was developed probably 50 years, 60 years ago, uh, whereby you connect, and this is how we measured the effect of Apollo originally in the lab, is you connect an individual to a heart rate monitor, EKG, uh, electrocardiogram with all the wires, uh, and then you connect them to a breath rate monitor and you show them the rhythm of their heart rate and their breath rate on a screen. And what's interesting is that most of us, probably 
close to 99% of us in our day-to-day, as soon as you get hooked up to that, you see your rhythms and your rhythms are totally out of sync, meaning that they're not working together, right? Your heart rate is going in one rhythm and then your breath rate is going in another rhythm and they're usually faster than they should be and they're not in sync together. They're not resonating, as we say. When two frequencies come together, like in a song, and you and you hear another instrument come into the song that, and that instrument is in the same key and it's in the same rhythm, that's what sounds like resonance. It doesn't sound like somebody's playing something different and it's and it sounds terrible. Like right, right. If somebody's out of tune, you're listening to an orchestra or, or a musical uh, band and somebody's out of tune or, or or off rhythm, it does not sound good and we can tell immediately. Uh, so we started to look at that. And what's interesting about biofeedback is that when you connect somebody to these heart rate monitors and breath rate monitors, on average, about 95% of people within roughly 90 seconds of healthy people, naturally, just by seeing your rhythms, will sink your breath rate and your heart rate within 90 Mm. seconds, Mm. just with the visual feedback. And that essentially is biofeedback. When you sync your rhythms, it teaches you that you can do that on your own without being hooked up and wired up. And when you do that, your rhythms start to sync around a five to seven breaths per minute depending on the person. And that is a state that the fancy way of describing it is called cardiorespiratory resonance. Heart math and, uh, has created a term, I think they created it, it's called coherence, which is the sinking of your heart and lungs when you enter a meditative state. But it's a state that is literally universal to every human being. We all have the ability to access this state. And it's where we start to enter a state of calm, meditative, mindful presentness. Um, if anybody has done yoga and done breathing with your yoga movements, you felt the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw that and we saw that people had done studies of biofeedback showing that when people enter these states, they feel calmer, they feel more even, their symptoms of depression get better, their symptoms of PTSD often get better, anxiety gets better, they can sleep better. And this was really interesting. And so we started to experiment with these different sound frequencies that were brought to a level where your skin could feel them, but you couldn't hear them. And we just sent them to the body over and over and over again. And lots and lots of people, thousands of people, um, many of whom were in the lab and many of whom were out of the lab in real world. And we measured them uh, using these same electrocardiogram monitors, respiratory monitors, um, sweat monitors, pupil monitors, all measures of the nervous system activity, um, EEG brainwave monitors, and then also wearables like the Apple Watch and Aura Ring and other fit devices And we saw a consistency in that people who experience certain uh, uh, vibratory rhythms, these these vibrations of Apollo that were very gentle and soothing, not only changed your heart rhythm into the state that biofeedback gets you into, that five to seven breaths per minute state, but it also, when people got into that state, their heart rate variability went up. That's one of the most reliable measures of resilience in the body now that we have. Um, Their heart rate comes down. They sweat less. And they perform better under stress, up to 25% more accurate on a test equivalent. That's a lot. That's like what you would expect to see with amphetamines on a math test. So you can get up to 25% more accuracy on a test. And you can recover more quickly after physical activity and perform better under physical activity and sleep better. And so as we started to put the technology out of the world, we thought people were going to use it mostly for focus and and. Uh, sleep and performance, but we realize or focus and and creativity and performance, public speaking, anxiety, things you do during the day. But when we released it, 
people actually used it more for sleep than anything else. And then that became one of the major focuses. So we yeah. learned a lot from our community by helping, by having them, asking them and looking at what they did and having them share that what they were using it for. And then that helped us make the product the way it is today. So I think, it's, I mean, it's super exciting. And I think both of us, my doctor actually prescribed it, which is how I even like learned about it, which is why I went like deep diving into the the site and the science and then reached out to you guys for the podcast. Um, Cause like stress management has definitely been a big challenge for me recently. And sleep has been my like white whale for my <laughs> way too long. Um, so going back to that question about measurability, because I think it's actually, I mean, there are so many trackers now, whether it's the ring or the watch or all of these things. And I think we've become a little bit obsessed with, you know, tracking performance. Um, so is there, because right now, you know, you guys have all the science from the the studies and the research that you've done, but those of us who are just using the device, all we have is kind of anecdotal, you know, information like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I did have actually one kind of bizarre experience that, well, so I have like, I've had this weird tendency towards panic attacks recently, which is not awesome. And they generally come in like the middle of the night and I can kind of start, I can feel when it's about to come on, like I'll wake myself up, my heart rate is pounding and I can just kind of tell okay, this is just like waking up because I had wine and then something else is like, I'm waking up and this is about to happen. And I actually like tried this experiment two weeks ago because it happened in the middle of the night and I was wearing it anyway. And so I turned it on in like really high setting and the panic attack didn't happen, which was, you know, for me, that is like anecdotal evidence Maybe. enough that this is something that's, that's you know, effective for me. But I guess my question is, um, is there a, a version or an iteration where we will be able to see some of the tracking or will it be able to sync with some of the tracking devices or is that just not an area that you want to get into? That's a really good question. Um, so I think the first, so short answer, yes that will be coming. Currently, you can connect your wearables to Apollo. Um, we have the ability to connect in Apple Health and Aura Ring. Uh, if you have those devices, we can actually start to... Right now, it's just for research purposes, but um, you can start to understand how your body is changing as you use Apollo. I think the... And, and in the future, in 2023, we will have a release that comes out that will show you how much Apollo is actually improving your sleep. Um, so that is really exciting because there's never been a combined technology that not only improves your sleep, but then also shows you what it's giving you back. Right. right? And so I think that's going to be really exciting and, and we're really looking forward to it. But I think that, that we also, as you said, you know, we have an obsession with data in our society and data requires processing of the data and then interpretation of the data and then action. And that's a lot of effort when <laughs> we're already so overwhelmed and we have so yeah. much going on. And so I think that's part of, and if you ask people, if you actually look at the surveys of people who are queried about how they, how much they like their wearables, their wearable trackers, the biggest complaint is that they basically have data fatigue. Yeah. Um, they have so much information coming in and sometimes the tracker tells them what to do, but other times it's saying, you know, here's your information. It's up to you to interpret this and then change something in your life. And then you also have to interpret it and then make the change. Right. And so I think this is, this is something that's, that was a challenge that we're really striving to overcome, which is how do we get from 
Gen 1 wearables, which I would say are like the wearables that that track you and give you recommendations about what things to do, to trainer trackers, which are things that track you and then and then help train you to actually be better. But they still but both of those generations require taking time out of your day to engage with this thing. To the Gen 3 wearables that take in the data and then actually do the thing for you, right? Maybe we don't need so much data. Maybe we'll right. Stop with all the data. So much. I just did 23 and me, and I was like, I won't want any of it. I was like, just tell me why that I'm like Turkish or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. No, I'm Jewish. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with that. <laughs> what do I do with this information? Is learned I'm Italian. What? Yeah. I was like, Erica's like, I guess you got to go make some marinara. I don't know. Yeah. What do I do with this info? And stop oh, trying to speak Greek with other people. Right. But I think to that point, you know, part of the reason why we're having so much distress in our society is because we are overstimulated as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the noise, the traffic, the responsibilities. It's just too much incoming information. And if we don't have, even if you have the tools, like the best mindfulness practices and you're working on them, you're getting better and you're doing the meditation, the exercise and all these things it's still overwhelming. There's still too much coming in. So for our, from our standpoint, it was how do we create something that gives people the ability to not have so much coming in and also kind of noise cancel what's coming in for you, right? Bring calm your body to allow you to clearly interpret more effectively what's coming in and what actually matters to you and sift through it more effectively so that you can focus on the stuff that really matters and the stuff that actually gives you joy. And what actually makes you feel like you. Yeah. Stress management has become stressful, I think, is the problem. Yeah, exactly. It's too much. And so um, I have two two sources of stress. Sources of stress. (laughs) And they're ages five and seven. No, but they, you know, it's it's interesting raising kids in the city, right? We live in Brooklyn. It's loud. It's noisy. Um. My kid was actually recently sick. He had the flu and he was throwing up and I put this on his ankle. It didn't do anything because he was going to throw it. <laughs> but I was like, wait, let's just try. <laughs> God. Um, I was, but I think I was, maybe it's a little bit more effective for motion sickness. My actual question uh, is really just about children. Um, specifically kids who have ADHD, which seems to be, oh, I don't know, nine and 10 these days. So have you been able to test or measure or apply this to kids in any way? Do you think it's it's applicable or will it be soon? And how quickly can I use it? And should I? Can I please just tell me? <laughs> Do you want to be in the test group? <laughs> so you can you can definitely use it on your kids. Uh, you know, part of the reason why we developed Apollo in the way that we did it and why it's sound and not some other kind of stimulation is because sound is exquisitely safe in general, especially at the low levels that you're feeling it with Apollo. It doesn't what most people don't realize is with things like Apollo, when you're especially delivering something to the skin, even for music in a lot of cases, less is more. So you don't need to turn it up all the way. It actually keeping it low where you just barely notice it is usually where people get the best effects um, and the best benefits. But ultimately, kids are more sensitive than adults. So, so especially to touch. So kids benefit from soothing touch like hugs and hand-holding as a safety signal, they receive that instantaneously as validation that they're okay. 
and that they can feel in control of their situation. Because as a kid, you often don't feel in control, right? You're the whole world's like rotating around you all the time. And, and you're just supposed to do what the adults say, and you don't have an understanding of the world. You're just kind of in it. And that can be really overwhelming too. And so, um, we developed Apollo in this way with sound because sound can be used by anyone and it can be used by vulnerable populations like kids and people who are not and, and pregnant women and um, elderly folks and people who are not good medication candidates, right? Like most people don't want to give medication to their kids. We do it when it's a last resort because we don't have any other option and they might really benefit from it. But, you know, there are always side effects and there are always issues with medicine that are not, you know, actually getting to the heart of the problem. And so we've done, we have some clinics that use Apollo with their pediatric populations for mostly, uh, mostly kids with ADHD, anxiety, and autism symptoms that are very, very hard to manage. They are, they've seen great results. They're continuing to use it and recommend it with their kids. Um, and we have a very exciting study that's currently about halfway through that you can check out on our website on the research page that is at the university, uh, Michigan State University. Um, specifically for ADHD. And mm -hmm. so I can't tell you that it I can't tell you that it treats ADHD because we haven't finished the trial yet, but I can tell you that the results from halfway through are very, very good. Um and and kids really like it. So yeah. it's definitely worth trying. Cool. Can you create a band that has like a Pokemon like yeah. pattern or some kind of um action figure? No, some flair. We need some flair, yeah. I think. I know. Yeah. I would like a little bit more flair on mine, too, actually. I think I need to swap out my band for a different color or something. I mean, nobody can stop you from getting your own band. Oh, that's um, Oh, my you, God. I didn't think of that. I didn't even think about that. Um, it's, some people do say, that. So you say it's it's sound, but I mean, just to clarify for people, it's not like, I mean, it's it's very, it's more of a vibration than it is sound. It's, it's like you don't actually hear anything because you can wear it to your point, like while you're sleeping, it's a right. very, very low frequency of sound, but the, I've likened it to, it's like having a cat just sort of like sit on you and purr, um, mm -hmm. which as we know, that's what they do for like their own self-soothing. Actually, my cat, my cat was sitting on me last night on my, like right next to me. And I put it on top of her just to see if she reacted and she did not And she was like, oh, you can purr too. Like big deal. Um, <laughs> but that is, that is kind of the, what it, the, the sort of the mechanism, right? And from what I understood, well, can you talk a little bit about the vagus nerve? Because that's kind of what, that's what we're talking about here, right? Is what that's, that's what it's stimulating? Uh, yes. Amongst other things, I think the vagus nerve is the primary nerve of the parasympathetic recovery nervous system. So if you think about, um, we were just, I actually just uh, came from a Qigong session earlier today. And uh, so, so the yin and yang is like fresh in my mind, right? So yin is parasympathetic represents recovery represents listening feeling more feminine type traits right and the yang is like energy out expression attack um you know moving moving things doing things um and res including responding to stress and so there's a constant balance that has to occur between those systems for us to be happy and able to function in a sustainable way. When that balance gets thrown off, then things can get really, really hard. And that's often when we experience illness uh, in the in the traditional, and that's the from the Eastern traditions, uh, Eastern medicine traditions. And so the vagus nerve is effectively the 
main nerve of the, which is, it comes down from the brain. Um, it's called a cranial nerve and it innervates almost every single part of our bodies, uh, in the, um, in, in the yin, which would be the recovery, listening, rest, promotion states. So it slows the heart. Whereas the sympathetic nerves, the fight or flight system nerves come down, innervate all the same organs and all the same parts of the body, but that increases the heart function pumping and increases the heart uh, speed and increases the breath rate. And then vagus nerve slows everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, so there's a resource allocation thing that happens. And when we experience stress, the vagus nerve activity goes down and then the sympathetic fight or flight activity goes up. And then that creates a diversion of resources by dilating blood vessels to the organs we need to get to fight or flight, right? The organs we need to get out of that threatening situation. So heart, lungs, skeletal muscles, motor cortex of our brain, fear center of the brain, all of those get more resources. But when we're in our beds, going going to bed at the end of the night and we're safe and comfy, we don't want all those things getting all our resources. We want our resources going to recovery and and uh, you know slowing metabolism and slowing our heart and slowing our breathing and increasing immunity, increasing reproduction and reproductive uh, uh, resources around that and and digestion and all the things that help us feel good and healthy. So that balance has to be dynamically maintained over time, which we can all do with practice, but when you're not taught, it's a lot harder. Yeah, it's not. I mean, and it's definitely... So again, I said my doctor, I mean, she's a functional medicine doctor. I feel like she's... I, I really appreciate that she is super balanced in terms of incorporating some more of these like alternative, you know, new types of practices, but then also still rooted in medicine. Oh, look who it is. He was, sorry, talking about stressing out. This daughter's like scratching on the door because he couldn't get to me. Oh. Right. Had to just, can you put it on a pet to make him stop? Yeah, sorry. Put it on him, see what happens. Um, Accidentally leave the door open. Oh, no, I was saying, I was just talking about my doctor again, who I love, who's the one who recommended this. Before we started talking about this, she was saying that, um, and I guess this ties back to the music thing, which I want to hear more about too, but she was recommending um, gargling, very loud gargling, which I did not do because... I don't really enjoy the, I don't think I gargle well. Like I end up, there's water everywhere. It doesn't work very well for me. She's like, or singing, which I'm very happy to do any time of day. I don't live alone. So it's not as, you know, free flowing as possible. But I mean, Zoe and I talk about this all the time. Like we both really, really love singing, karaoke, piano parties. Like we do this a lot and it definitely (laughs) does feel like there's some sort of serotonin release. Like it's not made up. Like it genuinely makes you feel better aside from the amount of alcohol you consumed along with the singing. Like it really does make you feel good. Yeah. Singing's the best. Most people don't know this about me, but I used to sing acapella in medical school. Really? I love that. Okay. Guys. I have another friend who sang acapella in medical school. Maybe you guys should hang out. I'm sensing a little uh, three-part harmony (laughs) sign-off here. (laughs) Wait, what was the name of your acapella group? Because it's got to be something good and punny. The ketones. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. It was a fun group, but that's yeah, you're, but but singing is absolutely therapeutic, and part of the reason is because it changes your breath patterns, right? Yeah. So, and it also creates the sound that we create creates resonant states in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
So it's, it's a, it's a very, very nice technique that we should all do more often. I think, you know, probably back in the day before a lot of modern technology, we probably sang a lot more to each other. Um, singing is also an amazing way to communicate stuff because songs are easy to remember because they have melody that associates yeah. with the words, right? So it's a, uh, so songs are, are incredibly therapeutic tool, um, that we hopefully will re re-embrace in our society. I wish I could write music because if I could, I would be much more inclined to deliver all of my communication in the form of a song, but it's not a skill that I have. Like Zoe, I'm like, we should just do every intro in a song, but. But we do want to keep, like, we we want to maintain some sort of audience. So we're not going to do that. Um, is there anything, I mean... You could just improv it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That really, that usually goes well. It usually works really well. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, is there anything about this handy device that we should know that we have not asked that you would like to communicate? That's a really fun question. In the form of a song, if possible. Please. In the form of a song, <laughs> and I would like... <laughs> In the key of D minor. <laughs> we can give you a beatbox. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now you're asking a lot. Um, <laughs> um, I think the... So, so I think the thing that's interesting about it is to think about safety from the standpoint of the nervous systems we've been talking about, right? And the vagus nerve. And that Apollo is giving us the benefit of uh, that we get from meditation or deep breathing. It's not an unnatural experience. It's an experience that we can all get ourselves into if we teach ourselves how to do it. Apollo is in a lot of ways like a self-awareness training tool that reminds us to be present in our bodies because our minds can be anywhere past, present, future in some other universe or some other ones, some of someone else's brain or whatever, but our bodies are always in the here and now. And so part of these techniques around mindfulness and meditation are all about resetting our minds back into our bodies, which has many, many more benefits than just sleep or just focus, right? Like one of the things that's really interesting that I'm sure is no mystery to you in your space is, is with sexuality, right? Many women, I think it's like, I can't remember the last statistic I saw exactly, but I think it was over 70% of women surveyed struggle to achieve climax during intercourse with their partner. Why is that something that is happening in the 21st century? That seems bizarre. But when you talk to a lot of these women, I mean, and when we talk to a lot of these women in, in our, in our clinic, in our sexual health clinics and that kind of thing. And, and when they've been surveyed, you know, a lot of women say that they don't feel safe with being, being that vulnerable mm. with another person, especially a person that they haven't fully trusted yet. And so when you think about some of the things that Apollo can do for people, which you can also achieve with deep breathing and you can also achieve with other things, but those things can be hard. Apollo can also help to improve sexual arousal, um, and especially for women, which is really, really interesting. And there's never been a wearable technology or really any technology or drug that has ever helped with female sexual arousal. Um, so it's nice to, and we're exploring this now, we have some uh, you know, sexual health uh, practitioners that are 
excellent that are working with it and recommending it to their patients. But um, it's really cool to be able to see the broader impact of enhancing safety in the body and how that can lead people to not just, again, sleep and focus and be awake when you want to be awake and meditate when you want to meditate, but also just have more better orgasms. Yeah. Amen. Nobody's mad at that. Nobody's mad at that. I mean, just to be clear though, they're not, it's not like they don't feel safe, like in a rapey kind of way. No, not at all. No, it's just just being vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Just feeling like it's, yeah. Like what are the most vulnerable states that we think about are when we're falling asleep, especially when we're alone, because when you're, when you're falling asleep, when we're asleep, we're in our most physically defenseless state in deep sleep and REM, we are physically paralyzed right? Many of us in REM are paralyzed. We don't move. So for our bodies to allow us to transition from this kind of experience to that kind of experience where we're totally out and even potentially paralyzed in deep REM states, we have to feel safe, physically safe, not just in the way you describe, but literally all the way down to our core. That includes not judging ourselves for not sleeping the way we want to, right? Simple things like that. That is something that makes us feel unsafe. Um, in sexual experiences with another person, people don't sometimes don't feel unsafe, especially women, because you're exposing your physical essence to another human being and being physically vulnerable around them. And you may not completely know that person yeah. in and out, right? You may, this may be the first time you're being physical together. And, and so what happens is whether you're aware of it consciously or not, you know, you may have a really wonderful relationship with this person in every aspect of your life, but part of your body says, this is vulnerable for me, right? This is this is a little bit scary. So I'm going to like clench up. I'm going to tighten up. I'm not going to allow all my muscles to relax because I need to be on guard just in case. Yeah. Right. And so having things and doing techniques that remind us to be safe or that we are safe and that we're in control of our experience is actually very helpful to allowing us to transition into these states more effectively. It's the same also in the therapy experience when we're doing talk therapy with people, because when you do talk therapy, what do we ask them to do? Tell us all your deepest, darkest secrets. Share your ultimate vulnerability with us that you never tell anyone, right? You have to feel safe in the context of your provider and trusted, trusting person that you can actually do that and not be judged. And the judgment part is a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, note to self, wear during gynecology um, appointment. <laughs> Is there anything more sort of, you know, exposed, feeling vulnerable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it is interesting that you have all of these different modes that, you know, if you look at the app, it's not just, you know, sleep and stress management as like a blanket. It's like, here's a mode for feeling a little bit more social and open. And here's a mode for when you really want to just sort of like go internal and kind of calm things down in your head. And so I haven't, I have not experimented with all of these modes yet, but um, the social and open thing I think is really interesting because there are so many people that have social anxiety that it's it's unfounded in some ways. It's just like that neural pathway that you just start telling yourself like, oh, I'm going to be really bad in this environment. And then then you are. Um, but there's no real, you know, I feel like a lot of people have that and there's no real way to address that. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I can tell you, and, and I don't know, I don't know if, if you're aware of this statistic, but I'm, I'm, I think the, that people fear public speaking mm-hmm. more than death. 
Yeah, I've heard this. Because they're worried about what other people think about them, which is really worrying about what you think about yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is part of the, the beauty of, of therapy and, and what psychedelic medicines also help us to do. But this idea of being safe, it helps to cultivate this sort of sense of safety in your own skin. And many of us from going all the way back to childhood have people who have told us or reacted to us in a way that says, what you're presenting to the world, the part of you that you're showing to the world right now, this sensitive part, this angry part, this sad part, that's not acceptable right now. Yeah. Right. And then over time, you start to tell yourself, well, if that's not acceptable, then maybe there's something wrong with me for feeling that way. And then you start to shut it down. You start to put it away or tell yourself that there's something wrong with you. And we've all done it. I've done it. Uh, there's no doubt. I, I actually treated my own public speaking anxiety with this because I had to talk about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I would go out and be giving these presentations. And I, just, I realized that I was spending, it just gave me the self-awareness in the moment, which was so beautiful when it happened that it was like a light bulb going off. And I was like, I am spending at least 50% of my brain resources thinking about what other people are thinking about me when I'm giving a talk. About thinking about what I think about myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if I just give my talk and focus on that and not what other people are thinking about me, then all of my resources of my brain are going towards what I'm here to do. And that's what people want. That's what they want. That's what they are here to hear me do is to be completely present with them giving this talk. And so it allowed me to just have having that self-awareness because I was present in my body and not in my mind, uh, allowed me to recognize that I'm in control of that. I am in control of whether I'm thinking about what other people are thinking about me in these moments or whether I'm thinking about just doing what I'm here to do. And that was the light bulb. And so that, you know, it didn't fix it right then and there, but it was that moment of self-awareness that allowed me to retrain myself to fix it over time. And now I just don't care. Yeah. It's the no fucks wearable. (laughs) Zero fucks given. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) It's my zero fucks given band. Um, (laughs) I love it. Oh my God. That's such like a poetic uh, realization. I love that. Um, Very cool. Well, you're doing really, I mean, you've done something incredible here. Uh, I'm, you know, I played, um, played tennis this morning, Erica, and I wore it because I usually hold my breath when I play tennis. It's like Mm. a horrible, you know, I was like, oh my God, what if I just like wear this and it helps me just, you know, with my breathing and the calm and whatever. You know, I can't say my game for tremendously, but but I love it as like, I I don't know. I just, I loved it in that context because it was such like a, um, it's nice to feel like you have another tool in your toolbox, yeah. even if it doesn't do the trick. It's just nice. It feels like there's some level of comfort knowing you have new levers to pull, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, even if it doesn't do the trick right now, it might help you along the journey. Yeah. Right. It's not, there are very, very few silver bullets in this world. You know, no. it's, it's yeah. like, there's almost nothing that you can just do it. And it accomplishes everything you wanted to without any side effects, right? Yeah. So this is no different. It some people notice a benefit right away, like you were saying, Erica, with your panic attack situation, right? Where you you aborted uh, a panic attack situation, and that is something we've heard a lot, which is oh, really? really really awesome because those are normally the option Xanax, right, or something like that, which has yeah. 
is a very dangerous drug when mis overused, but, um, we, you know, have the ability to tap into these states and, and that you can, I, I actually used it for, use it for tennis and occasionally when I rarely play golf because I'm so in my head thinking about all of my movement yeah. that similar to the public speaking, like I, for, I, I forget to just focus on bringing my racket to the ball, yeah. right? Yeah. What just, else matters? What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, you, and then you miss and you're like, I've been practicing this sport for how many years? I just missed the easiest shot ever. <laughs> you know? I'm like thinking about all 15 million things. Yeah. No, it's an exciting, I, I'm like excited to apply it to so many different areas of my life. Um, similar to that, to, to tennis. Um, Have you read The Inner Game of Tennis? No. Uh, the author is a very famous USC tennis coach who wrote a small pamphlet that's maybe like 90 pages about mm -hmm. the inner game of tennis. And it's about exactly what we're talking about right now. It's about how to center your mind in the moment. And that by, by just not focusing on all the little details of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it, but just by training yourself to do it, that all of a sudden your performance improves because you're, you just have more access to more of yourself, which is yeah. really such a mental game. It's so crazy. It really is. Yeah. Um, you could really beat yourself up in that game mentally, <laughs> physically. Um, anyway. Uh, well, I mean, I, this has been such a great conversation. I love this. Um, I love the connection between all of these things. Uh, and so how, do you want to tell us how everybody can find one of these? Uh, sure. Yeah. You can find Apollo at apolloneuro.com or easier to remember wearablehugs.com. Oh, that. Uh, that's cute. Uh, and, and please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I love to hear from you. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. David Rabin. Um, and my personal website is uh, at drdave.io. And if for those who are on Clubhouse, we have one of the first Clubhouse podcasts called The Psychedelic Report, which is about uh, all of the latest and greatest things going on in the world of psychedelic um, medicine and healing, uh, including technology. And you can find us most Thursdays at, uh, I think it's 3 p.m. Eastern. Cool. We might Very have to have cool. you back for another conversation on that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, 5 p.m. Eastern. 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Okay. 5 cool. p.m. Eastern. It's so funny to hear anything and like happening in real time or being like... <laughs> I know. Um, but like must see TV. Yeah. Okay. Definitely another conversation to have um, in that area. But thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Give us a couple of stars. Give us five whole stars. They don't cost you anything. And you can find out more information on our website at htwpodcast.com. And you can follow us on social at Earth and Star, which is at Earth and Star Co. Thanks so much. <laughs>